How are you today? We're in Galatians chapter 5. It's been a couple weeks since we've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit. This is part two of love. It's a nice day outside. The sun is shining. Fall is coming. Favorite time of the year. So let's talk about love today. You know, you can't say love in an angry tone. It's always like love. I'm like, love! <laughs> it's good to think on such things because God is love. But we're in chapter 5 of Galatians. We're looking at walking in the Spirit, talking about the fruits of the Spirit. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. We're going to recap just a little bit. But I'm going to read Galatians 5 starting in verse 16. You're going to hear a list of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And it's both contained here for our consideration as a test to see where our life is lining up with one list or the other. You'll know as we read through these lists, you can think, oh, you know, you hear uh, all the works of the flesh and hopefully you're not going check, check, check. But when the fruits of the Spirit come, you're like, yeah, that's in my life. And yeah, that's in my life. Amen. So listen here what it says in Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So see the opposition and the friction there. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not be boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So a powerful portion of Scripture there, two lists that all of us can identify with those behaviors. And when we studied uh, this, when we started off, it gave us a few benchmark conclusions that are worth repeating. Number one, producing the fruit of the Spirit is the best proof that we are walking in the Spirit and that we're actually saved. You say, what's the proof that I'm saved? Well, the proof is verse 22, that there's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. All of that stuff is being produced in our lives. Now, if we identify more with the first list, the works of the flesh, than we do with the other one, then something needs to be readjusted in our lives. And none of us are perfect, and, and you know what, I'm sure we all have things that we're dealing with and issues that need to be rectified, but there should be this undertow within our lives that we are learning to love, that we are learning to be peaceful people, patient people, and it's a work of the Holy Spirit in us, and it's a proof that we're saved. Remember, the religious 
people who were told to depart from Jesus' presence because he never knew them did religious things. They said, didn't we prophesy or cast out devils or do great works in your name? They did religious stuff. They had a moral code. They did volunteer work and they gave to charity. But Jesus said, I never knew you. So it's possible to do spiritual things and not be filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and even not to be saved. The works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit are two contrasting lists of behavior that reveal a person's spiritual alignment. Am I in the flesh or am I in the Spirit? If you've been around long enough in church, you've heard it talking about being in the flesh. And that list that we looked at, I think of the outburst of anger. How many know that that's a good indication you're in the flesh when you're driving and you have just these outbursts of anger? What is that? That's flesh. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying that when we identify with one list rather than the other, we need to examine our lives. We learn that God is love, and the first uh, and primary fruit of the Spirit is love. It's number one in the list. And there were four Greek words that we looked at. Agape, which is unconditional love, God's love. Phileo, which is brotherly love. Storge, which is parental or familial love. And eros, which is physical sexual love designated for the marriage relationship. So those four Greek words give us a big picture of what love is because love is a complicated issue and it's a multifaceted issue. How many understand there's a difference between saying, I love Jesus and I love donuts? We use the same word for both things. Now, if you put equal passion in both of those statements, you might want to take a look at your diet. But to love something or love someone and then to love God, we use love for all of those expressions. Yet those Greek words give us you know, understanding, whether it's the unconditional love, the brotherly love, the paternal love, the familial love, the sexual love within marriage. All of those expressions are valid because God designed them. So, okay, we get it. God is love. That means we as his followers, as his children, should be lovers as well. Amen? We should love. We shouldn't be always cantankerous and arguing and fighting and just angry all the time. No, we should be lovers. You should see the way some of you are looking at me right now. I wish I had a camera. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a lover. Amen. A couple of the married people getting all hot and steamy over there. But we're, we're to be lovers because God is love, and he's our father, and we should look like him. So the question becomes very quickly, who should we love, or what should we love? So I'm going to cover four things this morning about who we should love. Number one, now this is going to seem really simplistic and obvious, but we should love God. Well, let me try on this side a little bit. It was a little weak over there. We should love God. Amen. Amen. It's it's getting better. And you would think, come on, Pastor, I got up out of bed, I got dressed, I took a shower, you know, I'm clothed in my right mind, and you're going to sit here and tell me I got to love God? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you that it's simplistic, but let me tell you something about us loving God. It's a challenge for all of us all the time. Everything in this world competes for our love. 
Everything in this world, in our flesh, uh, of the kingdoms of this world, is trying to steal our love away. Every billboard sign, every advertisement, every person with an angle who comes to us is trying to get our attention, to get us to love something, to buy a product, to sign up for something, to spend our money. Everything competes with our love. And sometimes loving God becomes the hardest thing for us as Christians. And you think, well, shouldn't it get easier the longer I walk with God, the longer I serve God? No, sometimes it gets more difficult. It's just like in marriage when you're first married and it's the, you know, the honeymoon phase and all that puppy love and you're like, woo, we're in love and woohoo. And then the years go by and he still's not putting the toilet seat in the right position. And the cap is still not on the toothpaste. And on and on it goes. Sometimes the longer we're in something, the more difficult it stays to become appreciative and thankful. How many realize when it comes to love, we can be really, uh, you know, kind of jaded by it to the point where we just expect things and, you know, what have you done for me lately? And we get that way with God. So it's not just time. It's not just you know, an investment of years. No, for us to love God is a challenge. Sadly, it's actually very possible for many people who call themselves Christians to, to serve God for other reasons than that they love him. Now listen to what I'm saying today. Some people serve God out of fear. Now the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the wi- of wisdom and that's a good thing, but we shouldn't serve God out of fear. Oh, I serve God because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid of what he'll do if I don't listen. I'm afraid of going to hell. I'm driven by fear. That's not a good reason to serve God. In fact, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. But some people serve God out of fear. Some people serve God out of tradition. Well, why do you go to church on Sunday? Well, we've been in this church, my family, for generations. We have our own pew with our name and a plaque at the end of it. Have you ever been to places like that? Uh, I just sat down in so-and-so's row, and everybody's giving me a dirty look in church. That's my seat. It becomes tradition. And some people serve God out of tradition. You know, and it's possible to do that and not really know him. How many grew up maybe in the church, grew up in a traditional church, and, and didn't know Jesus until years later when you got born again? That's my testimony. I grew up in church. I knew about Jesus, knew the name of Jesus, but didn't get saved until I was 14 years old. So some people serve him out of fear. Some people serve him out of tradition, some out of obligation or a sense of duty. I talked to a man one time, and I I said, well, well, what are you doing on the weekend? And he says, well, I have religious obligations. I have a duty to go to blah, 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 blah. And I thought, what a bad reason to serve God. Out of duty. Love is the reason we should serve God. We should love him so much that he's the most important one in our lives. That on the throne of our heart, he is firmly seated. Amen. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The throne of our heart is not a love seat. It's not a sectional. I got a lot of things I love in here, and God's one of them. Or I love me and I love God. It's a love seat. No, it's a single seater. And God's got to be firmly on the throne of our hearts, the love of our lives, amen. 
there's a reason why God puts things first. There's a reason why the first commandment is first. And you know what the first commandment says in Mark 20, 30. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus sums up all of the law, all of the commandments in Mark 20. And he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So he sums up everything that has to do with our, our religious posture in one word, love. So a Christian that doesn't love is, is an anomaly. It's something's not right. A Christian that doesn't love God but just does religious things out of obligation, something isn't right. Love is so critical that it is the first fruit of the Spirit. If we love something or someone more than we love God, we have broken all the commandments. Matthew 10, 37 through 39 uh, speaks of the fact that when we don't put God first, it creates a tension in our life of us living unworthy of his love. How many know God put us first? He gave his only begotten son for us. He sent his very best. He's wild about us. He is passionately in love with each of us. Coming and waiting for a reaction from some of the frozen chosen out there this morning. He loves you this morning, I'm telling you. You know, if somebody came up to you, maybe, uh, you know, when you were dating or something in high school and say, I am, I am so wildly in love with you, you'd be like, <laughs> even if you didn't like them, you'd be like, thanks. <laughs> but that's the way God is with us. He's just wildly in love with us, wild about us. He gave us his very best. And look what it says here in Matthew 10, 37. The one who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who found his life will lose it. And the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. So look what he's saying there. Father or mother, son or daughter, taking up the cross. He's saying, and, and over and over again, not worthy, not worthy. I don't know about you, but I definitely feel unworthy of the way God has loved me. But yet the scripture is pointing it out that if we love him less than how he's loved us, it's unworthy. Notice the examples he's using, uh, father and mother, son and daughter. These are examples of storge love, remember? Paternal, familial love. And, and the point is here this, that those are the strongest bonds of love that we know as humans. The love for father and mother, son or daughter. What the word is saying to us is, our love for God must transcend and eclipse even the strongest bonds of human love. What you love the most, you've got to love God more than that. Who you love reflexively, mom, dad, son, daughter, children, my offspring, who we love just easily, we've got to love more than that. Our love for him has to transcend all earthly expressions of love, even the most powerful ones. You say, well, how do I love God? And I thought about that as I was putting this message together. And I want to give you just four ways that we can love God. Number one, if we love God, do his will. Oh, I love God, but we don't do anything God's told us to do. Jesus said, why do you say that you love me and don't keep my commandments? 
He sounded confused, like you, your mouth is saying one thing, but your life is saying another. So if we love God, we've got to do his will. You know, and the, and the f- foremost thing is that we've got to love one another. We, the first commandment, we've got to love God, amen? And so if we love him, we've got to do his will. So if you want to love God, get busy doing his will. If you want to love God, submit to Jesus, the Son of God. There again, Jesus has expectations of us. He's given us a great commandment. He's told us to preach the gospel, make disciples. He's taught us to, to love one another. He's told us to reach out and to, and to bring the love of God to the lost. And there again, are we confusing Jesus? You say that you love me, but you don't do what I've told you to do. So how do we love God? We, we, we do God's will. We submit to Jesus' son. The Bible says if you have the son, you have the father. But if you don't have the son, you don't have the father. People will say, well, I, I'm not into this Jesus stuff, but I have a relationship with God. They're just deceived. You and I have no access point to God without Jesus. Why? Because our sin separates us from him. Jesus deals with our sin and he cleanses us from all our sin so that we can walk boldly into the presence of God and have a relationship with our Father in heaven, amen? That's good news today. You know, sometimes as a pastor, the Holy Spirit starts to flow and I say things that I've always said before and they're not in my notes and I know it's because people need to hear them. But we've got to be careful not to check out when we hear something we heard before. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's going to tell us to love God. What, what, what's the next point? Maybe you're drawing pictures at this point here. But, but we've, got to, we've got to grab a hold of that. That we need to be wildly in love with him. Because that's the way he's loved us. And anything less is unworthy. It's unworthy of the example that he's given us. So we, we do God's will. We submit to the son. How else do we love him? We spend time in his presence. If you love somebody, you want to be with them. Amen. If you remember dating, you wanted to be with that person, that, the person you're dating, you're engaged to, you get married to. You wanted to be with them all the time. You didn't just, you know, like say, uh, you know, I'll call you in eight days or something. Kim and I were separated by over 2,000 miles when, when uh, you know, and, and uh, we were dating, and she's all the way in Saskatchewan up there where Bigfoot lives, and I'm down in New York, and, you know, we're separated. And I, I remember I used to save my money all week because it was 50 cents a minute to call. And we'd have this one big phone call. And boy, I look forward to that the whole time, you know. I didn't miss those calls. I didn't say, oh, yeah, I forgot to call you. No, we, we yearned for each other. We wanted to be together to hear each other's voice. You still love me? (laughs) She does. We got it on video now. (laughs) But spend time with him. Spend time at his feet. Spend time in prayer. Just get alone with God. Go sit in the woods. Sit by a stream. Bring your mosquito repellent. But just go, go sit there and just listen. Sit before him. Sit at his feet. Seek him, Amen. Cut down some of that screen time and just seek God. Read the word, pray, listen. Listen for that still small voice, amen. How else do we love God? By loving others, because he said so. He's asked us to love one another. He's asked us to love people. And when we love people, even when they're unlovable, maybe especially when they're unlovable, it's pleasing to God. So number one, who should we love? We should love God. Number two, we should also love the church. 
We've got to love God's people. How many would express by the clapping of their hands that they love the people of God? Amen. I'm just looking for the people who aren't clapping. No, but it's like amazing. You accept Jesus and all of a sudden, you know, something that was dormant in you explodes and you're excited, you're alive, you're born again, you know that you're saved. And then all of a sudden, you start to like these people that you never even knew before. And they become like family because they are family and they are the family of God. And we have a love, you know, for people. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to get to church and see so-and-so. And I like this one and I like that one. And I want to talk to everybody. Anybody? You say, no, Pastor, I run right outside the church. As soon as service is over, I don't talk to... No, listen, we got to love one another, amen? That's what makes the body of Christ strong. Take the time. Take the time to talk to somebody. You know, take the time to connect. Sit down, break bread together, have a meal, have a laugh. You say, well, what if they're weird? Well, move on to the next one. There's somebody for you, Amen. But we got to love the church. In fact, the, the, the Bible shows that this deep love that we have for one another because we're God's kids, we're part of the family of God, is actually the proof of our conversion. Listen to 1 John 3, 14 through 15. It says, we know. So here's a proof. We know that we've passed from death unto life. What's that? That, that spiritual dormancy. We, we get born again. Now we're alive. Why? Because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death, and whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So this idea that we love the church, we love the people of God, is actually a proof of our salvation. I hear people say, well, I, I love God, and I, you know, I love the Bible, but I, I can't stand church people. Something needs to be re recalibrated in your heart. Amen? Because even if they're difficult, even if they're different, even if they're you're not on the same page as you, there is a bonding. It's, that, it's like that, that love that just comes in, in, the, in storge, that familial love, the, that phileo, that brotherly love. That has got to be there. Because now the love of God is in you. You say, Pastor, isn't it easier to love Christ than it is Christians? <laughs> yes, at times it is. At times it is. They're, you know, sometimes God's people are, you know, they're special. <laughs> we have a little term that we've used around here for a long time about some of the people that are harder to love than others. We call them EGRs, extra grace required. You know any EGRs? Don't raise your hand. You say, oh, I don't know any EGRs. You're, you're an EGR. <laughs> it's you. Every church has people in it that are difficult. Every church has people in it that are grouchy or judgmental or gossipy or hypocritical or just weird. Ever meet any weirdos in church? Amen? You know, I've said it before, the granola church, fruits, nuts, and flakes. We've got, we've got weirdos. I've met some of the weirdest people I know in church. You say, well, what did, what did you do? I loved them. There's one in every family, amen? And God expects us to love. You know, people can be difficult. And, uh, you know, you might say, well, I'm good with Jesus, but people are a real challenge. And, 
and I get that, and all of us have our own quirks and idiosyncrasies. You know, Mark Twain didn't come up with this, but he said it. He said, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the truth? You know, sometimes I think dogs are the greatest example we have of agape love. Man, your lo dog loves you no matter what. If you give them stale food, you don't pet them, you forget to let them out, they love you. They're always happy. Sometimes the only one that greets me at the door is the dog. <laughs> Everybody is like, get away from me. And the dog's like, ah, so happy to see you. So people can be difficult, but God expects us to love his people, love the church. Yes, they can be grouchy and gossipy. They can, you know, come with all kinds of baggage, but God expects us to love them because they're part of our family. Which brings me to the next point. We're to love God, we're to love the church, but we're also to love our families. The Bible says that a person who doesn't provide for his own or love his own is worse than an infidel. People who make children and don't love them, people who have families and don't provide or don't protect men that just, you know, act like little babies and don't love their wives and don't love their children, wives that act like they're single women and just do their thing and everything's in neglect. This is not pleasing to the Lord. The Lord wants us to love our families. Now, for most of us, that's an easy thing. It's reflexive. You love your family. You know all about them. You know they're weird. You know their flaws and failures. But there's this bond that's just there. I mean, and it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to even shake. Some of you have tried not to love them, but still, you have not been successful. But we're to love our families. A tangible display of love in our family relationships is pleasing to God and points towards the Lord. Let me start with the first component of the family. Husbands and wives need to love each other. Husbands and wives need to love each other, not just coexist, not co-parent, not just get along, not just not kill each other, but actually love each other. When the house has a loving relationship at the core of the house. Everything else in the house will flow down and be blessed, and your children will be blessed, and your neighbors will be blessed, and those who see your marriage will be blessed. Amen? So love each other, husbands and wives. I remember as a young man getting saved and being in youth group and I had youth leaders in my life and I would see the love they had for each other. And I'd be, I'd watch them and they, you know, the husband's hugging his wife and a little kiss or something and they're just laughing and happy. And I'm like, that, there's a model of what marriage is for me. Watch my parents, the way they loved and were faithful and always present, and there's a model of marriage. So, you know, the marital relationship, when it's filled with love, is a, is a blessing that overflows to every part of our culture. And more now than ever, we need good role models of loving marriages. So we've got to love our spouses, and, you know... The Bible expects there to be that eros love in the relationship, the affectionate, physical love. That's also a healthy thing. You know, I, I want to say this to married couples. You need to enjoy each other. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say it again, but I'm going to let it just marinate for a second. Married couples need to enjoy each other. Your spouse is a gift from God. Your spouse is a gift, a gift to you, the perfect gift for you. 
And we're going to be married 32 years. Still my girl. She's the perfect one for me. She's my gift every day. Every day takes care of me. You know, and hopefully she sees me as a gift that she doesn't want to return because I, I see all that stuff you send back to Amazon, and I'm hoping that I don't wind up in the box. But, but yeah, husbands and wives are gifts. I say this at every wedding I do. Don't forget every day to enjoy the gift that God has given you in each other. That's what I say at the, at the pronouncement when I'm blessing the couple. Because that's the reality. So there needs to be love in your marriage. And let me say something else. Husbands and wives, you should be affectionate with each other in front of your children to the point that it makes them slightly nauseous. <laughs> they should be like, ew. They should say things like, cut it out or get a room or something, whatever they say. You say, why, why, why Pastor? Because they need to see that you love each other healthy in a physical way. And you say, well, they don't like it. Yeah, they, they might act like they don't like it. But listen, children that know their parents love each other have a, have a security and a confidence that comes to their lives no other way because it's a stability for them to know that my parents are always going to be there. It's a foundational thing. So gross them out every once in a while. Love in the marriage relationship. We, we, we need to love our families. Number two, we need to love our children. Some couples find it easier to love their children than to love each other. And if that's the case, that is not pleasing to God. If you used your spouse to get a child, if you used your, you know, I didn't really want to be married, but I wanted to have a children. I wanted somebody to pay for everything, or I didn't really want to be a, 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 you know, love my wife or, or, or lay my life down, but I wanted kids. I wanted little mini-me's. That's wrong. And we see that in the world, and we see it in the church. And I want you to know, as a shepherd, it offends me. Because marriage is so much more than what I can get out of it. It should be drenched in love. It's an example of God's love and his relationship between he and the church, the bride and the groom. So we should love our children, but we have to have a balance here in the way we love them. We love them with agape love, unconditional love, not based on performance. Well, if you do everything dad says, I'll love you. No, that's not love. We have to love our children unconditionally. And most parents, just out of reflex, you love them no matter what, no matter what they do or what they say or how they struggle or what they think, you love them. And that's that unconditional love. But we have to balance that out with not making idols out of our children. There again, I've seen this in the church, people that make idols out of their children. Everything in the house, everything is about the child. It's not even about mom and dad anymore. It's not about the kingdom of God. It's not, you know, we're the activity directors and we run around and they do everything and we go everywhere and we just, and then when they move out someday, you look at each other and go, who are you? Come on, I'm preaching this morning. So we got to love them unconditionally, but be very careful not to make idols out of them. Your marriage is the centerpiece of the house. Your kids are satellites to that. They fall in line with the house. The kingdom is first, and all of these other things fall in line underneath. That's a healthy model of what it means to love our children. But it's important in a generation that people have children and still remain selfish and don't want to lay their lives down, that children grow up in unloving situations. In the 80s, we called them latch kids remember no one was ever home 
parents are out working, parents are on vacation, parents are out doing their thing, and the kids would find a key under the mat, let themselves in, watch themselves. The TV would raise them. They got raised watching the garbage on TV. Then we wonder why we have a godless generation that doesn't want to be married right now, doesn't want to have kids, wants to just live in immorality. God help us. We've got to love our families. We've got to love our children. Uh, we've got to love our parents. There again, the fifth commandment says that we should honor our father and mother so that our days may be long in the land that the Lord gives us. It's a commandment with a promise. In the Old Testament, if you dishonored or disrespected or, or treated your parents badly, you could be stoned to death. Some of the parents go, we should bring that back. I mean, could you imagine in the Old Testament, you know, you, somebody gives their mother lip and, and, and is rude and curses them and they, they get drug out of the, the town and stoned to death. Everybody looks scared now. But the Bible tells us to honor our father and mother and so we have to love them. And so uh, that means being respectful of them. That means allowing them to have their place in your life. I keep forgetting how old I am. I think I'm 54, aren't I? Yeah, I, w I would take ginkgo biloba, but I keep forgetting to take it. <laughs> Some of you are going to get that on the way home. But I'm a grown man, but I still honor my mother and father. I listen to them. I go to them for prayer. I go to them for counsel. When I need prayer, I call my mom. When I need a tool, I call my dad. <laughs> He's got it. He knows how to use it. He knows what the torque specs are. He can help me. It's a blessing to have your parents. And those of you, your parents have gone on into eternity, you know it's a blessing. So we got to honor them. So probably this afternoon I'll be pulling weeds at my mom and dad's house. No. <laughs> but these are the family bonds that God expects us to honor. And he expects us to have that storge love, that phileo love, and even that agape love in our family situation. So Husbands and wives love each other. We should also love our parents. We should also love our children. And we should love our brothers and sisters. Some, some paternal relationships are pretty competitive and pretty nasty and, and not healthy. And I want to encourage you, if you're a grown adult and you're st still competing with your siblings to see who can outdo each other, squash that. Let that go. And just love one another. One last thing I want to cover here this morning. So we should love God. We should love his church, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We should love our families, and we get that. The last category I want to cover is this. We should love our fellow man. Amen. We say, well, I can love God, and I can love the people of God because we're all saved, and we all agree on theology and Jesus. But those people out in the world, man, I, I don't love them. I, I, I don't even like them. In fact, some of them, I hate them. Sounded bad when I said it from the pulpit, didn't it? Yeah, but when we look out there and we see the craziness in the world and we see the wickedness being animated in the lives of sinful men, it's easy to be like, man, I'm just, yeah, I can't, yeah. But God expects us to love them. Well, how do you know that? Because he even told us to love our enemies. Now, you love them differently than the way you love God. You love them differently than the way you love your, your 
your spouse, your brothers and sisters in law. It's a different love, but it's a, it's a familial love. It's a storge love. It can even be a phileo love. But we need to love our fellow man. And you say, well, why do we need to do that? Besides the fact that God said to, here, here's a good reason. Every person may not be saved or match our description of what a Christian looks like, but every person alive that draws breath is made in the image of God. Did you get that? They're made in God's image. Who, who designed them? Our father is their father in the sense that he, they're, they're his workmanship. They're made in his image. They have a free will. They have a, a body, a soul, and spirit. They're a trichotomous being like the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They're made in God's image. How can we hate what's made in God's image? Now I've heard preachers and speakers and, uh, you know, politicians say we're all God's children. To which I want to straighten that out. We are not all God's children. Only those of us who are born again in relationship to Jesus Christ have a relationship with the Father. We are not all God's children. I wasn't God's child. I was a son of disobedience in wrath until I came to Christ and was saved and born again. Amen. So we may not all be God's children. Some of you look confused. Trust me on this. We're not his children until we are his children and, and through adoption through Christ. But we are all made in his image. So you think, well, well, what's the point of that then? I'm not quite sure here. The fact that we're made in his image means that every person has worth. Every person has human dignity. Every soul matters. Think about how precious a soul is that both God and the devil want them at all costs. Every person, even a wicked person, even the worst person you could think of is made in God's image. They have worth, they have dignity, and they have potential. As long as they're still alive, they can be saved. No one's outside the reach of the Holy Spirit. If we're hating on people and rejecting people and judging people that are still breathing, they might the next day be our brother and sister in Christ. Do you know the Apostle Paul was busy killing Christians? He was going door to door, house to house, pulling people out, having them executed, having them put in jail. And then soon after that, Jesus visits him and knocks him down on the Damascus Road. And now Paul the persecutor becomes, Saul the persecutor becomes Paul the apostle. And God presents him to the brothers and sisters in the church and they're like, This guy who killed us, drug us away, who, who murdered Christians, who was at the stoning of Stephen, this guy's now a Christian? Come on. Why was that possible? Because every human being has potential to, to be saved. Do you know the people that looked at you and thought, they'll never be saved? Here you are, right? How many people wrote us off and said, ah, there's no way. They're not that one. That's a bad seed. That's just not, they're never going to get it right. Mm. Why should we love people? Because they have the potential. While they still draw breath, they're still within the reach of God. What does it mean? It means because of that, we should preach the gospel to everyone, especially those that others have written off. I find that God makes people who've been thrown away or slipped through the cracks or everybody wrote off, he takes them as a trophy of his grace and does amazing things with their lives. 
What does it mean that people are made in the image of God? It means that we should love people who are in cults, who are in false religions. You, that Jehovah's Witness that knocks on the door, you should love them and care about their soul. That, that Mormon that wants to give you the pamphlets and tell you about the Book of Mormon, you should love them. You can't hate them. You, you can't be angry and mean towards them. They're deceived by the devil. They need Jesus, and they need to see the love of God in the people of God. So we got to love those in cults and false religions. we got to love those who are in sexual immorality. Well, this person did that, and they're a sex offender, and they're in jail. There's still a soul that can be saved. They're still precious to God. We even have to love those who are in unbelief. Even vocal critics of the church, atheists and agnostics that are vitriolic and hateful towards Christianity who mock us and make fun of us. we got to love them. Because sometimes the squeakiest wheel just needs a drop of oil. Sometimes the angriest voice is the closest to the kingdom. And they're one expression of love away from laying aside all those excuses and meeting Jesus. What does it mean that people are made in the image of God? It means no one is beyond God's amazing grace and his incredible ability to make dead things come alive. So we have to love our fellow man. We have to love them when they cut us off in traffic, when they buck us in line at Walmart and take the last bottle of not stale milk, Pastor Mike. We have to love our fellow man when, you know, our neighbors, when they take things out of our garage and don't return them. And I can go on and on, and you get it. But those EGRs, those ones that are difficult... The ones that laugh at us and make fun of us and talk behind our back. Oh, there's one of them Jesus freaks. And they laugh at you. Just love them. Pastor, what do I do with all these difficult people? Love them. Love your fellow man. It's amazing what love can do. So, if the church looks at scorn at the people that we should love, we failed our mission to reach the lost. We've got to replace that scorn. And yes, there's a lot of sin. Yes, there's a lot of deception. Yes, there's a lot of wickedness all around us. But love is the answer. God is love, and he's called us to be lovers. So we love God, we love the church, we love our families, and we love our fellow man. And in doing so, we produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I thank you that you put first things first, that you put love first. We know that unless we get love, unless we allow that fruit of the Spirit to be produced in our life, all the other fruits of the Spirit are either inconsequential or they won't work. We can't have peace without love. We can't, we can't have joy without love. We, we can't have gentleness without love. And so, God, in, in everything that we grow in and everything that we expand in and excel in, let love be the number one thing. That we would come to you and fall at your feet and allow you to instruct us on, on how we can love the way you love. Because you are love, God, and we are your children. So help us to be lovers, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning.